Until he got here this morning, uh, Will had no idea what I was preaching on this morning, and yet the songs that he selected were perfect. If I were to have given him a song list of songs I wanted, chances are that some of those would have been on the list that I provided to him. So I hope you will think of that as this sermon this morning goes on. Tis the season, so they say. Tis the season of giving and thanksgiving and appreciation. Tis the season for counting our blessings and being grateful for those things that we have been given. But you know something? For the blood-bought child of the living God, that should be every day. That should be an everyday occurrence, and especially, especially on the Lord's Day, when we come together in our Father's house to gather about His table and commemorate the gift of His Son for us, every Lord's Day should be the season of giving and thanksgiving and appreciation and count our blessings. As Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Tis the season every Lord's day when we come into his presence. Today... We're going to celebrate, we're going to commemorate, we're going to focus on and give thanks to God in this lesson for one of the most awesome, amazing, absolutely incredible and powerful and completely undeserved gifts that He could ever give to us and that He did ever give to us. And that is grace. Grace. We're going to look at the word grace this morning from a little different perspective. We're going to break the word grace down into an acronym, G-R-A-C-E. We're going to look at this amazing gift of grace. In fact, if you would be opening your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin with the G from grace. And we're going to call it exactly what it is. It is the glorious gift of God. Grace is a gift. It is an absolute gift from Almighty God. The Greek word for grace means undeserved, unearned, unmerited, unwarranted favor. It's something you can't earn. It is a Gift. It is a glorious gift from God. In fact, we would read in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, 
And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't God awesome? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We deserved that eternal Gehenna hellfire that we talked about this morning in the adult Bible class. We deserve that. We don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. It doesn't matter what our name is or, or where we came from or how many possessions we have. None of us is righteous enough to be in God's presence. Not a single one of us. Nobody. Because we were what we were, verses 1 through 3. But verse 4, but God, who's rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Watch verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is God's gift. If we were to look in Romans 5, and I would ask that you would please, Romans chapter 5, we would note beginning... At verse 14, once again, that God's grace is a glorious gift that we could never earn or deserve. It's just something that God offers. Romans 5, beginning at verse 14, says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. As the Apostle Paul says in the context of the exceeding grace of God amongst the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, 14 and 15, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let's take a look at the letter R from grace. R. For this sermon this morning and for its purpose, the R shall stand for Redemption in Action. Redemption 
in action. This is the grace of God that the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy 1, 12-16 that was read to us earlier in our scripture reading. Grace is redemption in action. It took an incredible action on the part of grace in order to redeem us. If we were to go in our Bibles, and I'd ask that you would, to Romans 3, we would begin at verse 19. As we look at redemption in action, Romans 3 and verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world... Everybody may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nobody's getting into heaven because they're that good. Ain't happening. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I understand that belief in the Bible means taking action on it. I realize it's not just some errant, yeah, I believe, okay. I realize that having faith means taking action on that which you have faith in. And I know that we, we often go there, but brethren, what I want us to understand is God's grace is tied to redemption in action. Look what he did for us in sending Jesus Christ to die for us. He didn't just say, I wish you were redeemed. He didn't just say, well, you know, you boys are going to have to straighten up and fly right. He knew the sad condition we were in. So God took action and did what it took to redeem us. What does it say in Romans 5? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He took action. If we were to look in our Bibles again back in the book of Ephesians, and I ask that you would, Ephesians 1. Verses 7 through 10, look what it says there as we talk about redemption in action. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 7, it says, In Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His Grace. Grace and redemption are inseparable. It took God's grace to put the plan in action, to take the action by which we would be redeemed, that is to send Jesus to die for us, and to extend that grace and mercy to us by virtue of his son's sacrifice. Grace is redemption in action. It's not just talking about it. God didn't just talk about it in the Old Testament prophets. God didn't make empty promises. God didn't make plans he never intended to carry out. He said, here's what I'm going to do. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He died on a cross. God says, here, I've got a gift for you so you can come live with me forever. Redemption in action. If we consider the A in grace, the most obvious choice, perhaps, is the word amazing. Amazing grace. And, and it is that. And we toss that phrase around sometimes without really thinking about how amazing God's grace is. Webster defines amazing as meaning to fill with great surprise or sudden wonder, astonish, to bewilder. Are you still astonished? Are you still overwhelmed? Are you still amazed? And stand in just wonder at the grace of God. Grace is amazing. Look with me in your Bibles in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. As we consider amazing grace. Mark chapter 10 beginning at verse 32 says, Now they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Keep in mind, this is God in the flesh. This is the God who spoke into existence the universe, portions of which we still haven't even discovered today. This is the God who spoke into existence the Pacific Ocean and the Rocky Mountains and Mount Everest and every little creature and being and everything that flies and moves and has been. This is God in the flesh who was there at the beginning. And look what he says his creation is going to do to him. He says in verse 33, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then, James and John being so heartbroken over what was going to happen to the very son. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left <laughs> in your glory. Who would do such a thing as it talks about in verses 33 and 4 what God would do such a thing as allow himself to have to go through that in verses 33 and 4 especially for such selfish and sinful and self-centered people as we see in verses 35 through 37 think about that that is amazing isn't it God knew 
Ephesians 1 and verse 4, Ephesians 3, 8 through 12, God knew before the very beginning of His creation, before the stars, before the earth, before all of it, Ephesians in those two passages bears out before the foundations of the world. God had a plan in place because he knew he was going to be dealing with stubborn, selfish, prideful, self-centered, me first, all about me people. Just like he's dealing with here. And that he would come that he would even create them, knowing what they were going to do to him, knowing, knowing what was going to happen to him as a result of even creating. If it had been me, I wouldn't have even created them. I'd have said, oh no, that ain't happening. But you see the kind of people he's dealing with, and, and James and John are certainly representative of humanity as a whole. If you go back through the Bible, we've always had a pride problem. He says, I'm going to die for you. If you don't find that amazing, you need to read it again. He said, I'm going to come and die for you, and I'm going to forgive your selfishness and your pridefulness. The only being that would do that is an awesomely amazing God, as we've already seen in Ephesians 1 and 2 and Romans 3 and 5, as we discussed the G and the R. Let us move on to the C in grace. Compassion. Grace is all about compassion. Grace is compassion taken to its infinite and ultimate destination. That's what grace is. Turn to me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, would you please? Luke chapter 10. Beginning... In verse 35, I'm sorry, Luke 10, beginning at verse 30, and running through 35. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, the Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, when he saw this man, this, this man has been robbed and left for dead and, and beaten up, he had compassion. He didn't have to stop. He wanted to stop. That's compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, the scripture says on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. And a lot of times we focus on verse 35, but don't, don't miss verse 34. Not only did the Samaritan go over... And take bandages out of his own supplies and put them on this man. Not only did he put this man on his own animal and brought him to an inn. 
That afternoon or that day, whenever it was, he didn't just say to the innkeeper then, hey, I'm going, I'm going to continue on my journey and, you know, take care of him. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says that he stayed with him all night. Because it says on the next day he departed. Do you see that? I don't know where this Samaritan was going. I don't know what business he had to attend to, but I know this. He went out of his way for a man he didn't know. Helped him out, gave up his own time, his own resources. And the Bible says that's compassion. You know, a lot of us are here this morning. And life has beaten the daylights out of us. It has. Whether it's circumstances that we wish were different. Maybe with some of our own families. Whether it's physical health issues and we're getting older and slowing down and we don't function quite like we used to. Whether it's some personal pain or just life beating you up. And you feel half dead some days. You feel like, like you've been hit by a truck. And it just keeps rolling over you, you know. <laughs> And sometimes, sometimes our injuries are due to personal foolishness or they're self-inflicted. But what I want for us to understand is that God knows what compassion is. And God says, when you're beaten up, when you're left for dead. I mean, if this Samaritan, this human could have compassion like that, how much more compassion do you think Christ has got? That's grace. We see it as well in Luke. The 15th chapter. Please turn there. Just a few chapters over to Luke 15. And I know we know this story, but humor me. Let's read it. Luke 15, verse 11. Don't let your mind wander, because you know the story. Follow along, please. Luke 15, 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Gladly. He'd have been happy to eat pig food. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or to his senses, depending on your translation, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He knew he wasn't worthy. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm starving to death. I know I don't deserve to be your son. I know the mess I've made of my life. I know it's self-inflicted. I know this was a stupid decision. And I am so sorry, but I am starving to death. If you just let me work for you, like, like a hired hand, like you don't even know me, Father. Just let me come back into the fold and let me work so I don't die of hunger. He rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. You suppose the boy cared that in front of everybody, dad's out there just kissing on him? I don't think he really cared. 
Matter of fact, if I was him, I'd have been really, really great. Dad, kiss me all you want. Boy, it's good to be back. And the son said to him, he still knew his place, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, as I read this story, I personally wonder, okay, did he have more he wanted to say? I mean, if you come back in this situation and, and you say that much, and you, you know, if it was me, of course, I talk a lot, but if it were me, I'd be getting ready to just unload with everything. I mean, I'd just been, you know, right? And if that boy's anything like me, maybe he's taking another breath, but whether he is or not, dad cuts him off. It's, it's over. Dad doesn't want to hear about the mess he's made. Dad already knows the mess he's made. Dad could have said, you know what, that was really dumb. What is wrong with you? No, I'm not even going to let you work for me. No, no, you see, that's not compassion. Dad had compassion. And when we mess our lives up and we get out there and we waste what God has given us and we come to our senses and we go to come back and we just we want to just sit in, a, sit in the, the pew of the church and, and just, you know, if we can even just be near God's presence and God says, no, you're my child. Are you nuts? I've got so much more. I want to love you. I want to give you. I want to clothe you. I want to take care. Look what the Bible says. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Dress this boy up. He's my son. And bring the fatted calf, only the best. This is my boy. Here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. That's compassion. Aren't you glad that when you mess up, when you do some of those dumb things like we all do from time to time, when Satan's temptation just overwhelms you and you, you have a moment of weakness and you say or do something you shouldn't do and you know God's disappointed, aren't you glad when you come back to God He is a compassionate and merciful God? And he doesn't say, no. Are you out of your mind? I gave you everything. Look what you've done. And what God says. You know what God says? I've been waiting for you. Come on in and let me love you and hold you and take care of you. That's grace. That's compassion. Even when the hurt and the dirt comes about as a direct result of self-imposed and selfish motives and sinful desires, and his did, did it not? You know what his father said? I want the best for my boy. Bring it all out. He's worth every bit of it. That's grace. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning, folks. God's grace. That's what this is all about right here. Final letter. E. God's grace. When you understand what we've talked about this morning, and you don't just sit there and hear it, but you really understand it. God's grace. In all of those things we've talked about is E. Empowering. Empowering. Think about it. Turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If anybody knew anything about grace, with the exception, of course, of Christ himself in the New Testament, if anybody understood grace, it was the Apostle Paul. He understood grace. We all know the story of the Apostle Paul. 
We know how he killed Christians, forced them to blaspheme. We know how he had letters and he went to Damascus. We know that he, he hauled them out of homes and he cast his vote against them, wanted to kill them. We understand he had blood on his hands from Christians. We, we get that. And we know the conversion story. We know, as, as was read to us in the scripture reading this morning from 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, he says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. But, but he goes on to say that, but God in his grace and mercy saved me from all of that and used me in his service. Grace is empowering. When you understand what God has done for you, when you understand the gift he's given you, when you understand the cost that it costs to give you his grace, redemption in action, it is empowering. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul is telling the saints and the brethren there in the, the church in Corinth, the Lord's church in Corinth, he's telling them about Jesus and the gospel and the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what the gospel is according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And then he goes down through this list of people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And he finally gets down here a little ways further. And he says in verse 8, and I saw him too. And then he says this. Let's start at verse 8. He says, Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. I put those people to death. Their blood was on my hands. I helped kill them. Those wives, those husbands, those Christians... Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he's talking about now. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You see, God didn't just save Paul to save Paul. He didn't just give Paul his grace so Paul could sit back and say, Ladi dar, I'm saved. Good for me. Look what the verse says. Three times he uses the word. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I will not waste what God has done for me. I am not going to be somebody he purchased by his blood who is useless to fulfill the mission that he had, that he purchased me for in the first place. But I labored more abundantly than they all. He said, I worked harder than Peter. I worked harder than Matthew. I labored harder than all those apostles. Is he bragging? No. Because he says, no, 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 you don't get it. What was doing all the work was grace. Not I, but the grace of God in me. Because I am so grateful for the grace of God. Because I will never get over what God has done for me. That's empowering to me, Paul says. That, that causes me to just want to give God everything I've got. And then say, but wait a minute, I've got so much more I need to give you, God. Because you're worth it. Look what you've done for me. Grace is empowering. How can one receive the grace of God and not be grateful enough to say, God, you do that for me? 
I'm yours. I'll do anything you want me to do. How can one not do that? Because I can't give back to God anywhere near what he gave to me in giving me his grace. It's empowering. As a matter of fact, look in Romans 5 as we talk about this empowering gift of grace. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. We've already read what comes before verse 19, but let us begin with verse 19 of Romans 5. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul says... We've all been given this grace, chapter 5. This incredible gift that none of us deserve. This incredible gift that we couldn't earn or merit. We've been given grace. So we don't have to go to hell for our sins. And some of you people are really asking, just because God gave us enough grace to cover our sin, well, does that mean we should keep sinning so we get more grace? Paul's, Paul's like, are you out of your mind? What is wrong with you? He said, no. No, because he gave us his grace... Because we were forgiven of our sins when we were buried with him in baptism and risen up to walk in newness of life. Because he, he showered his grace down upon us and he cleaned our slate and he gave us this new chance. That should empower us to live better for God. Grace is empowering. He says in verse 7, For he who died has been freed from sin. We've been freed from sin by God's amazing grace. That should empower us. Empower us to live different. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The gift of God's grace is empowering you. It's empowered you to change the way you live. It's empowered you to, to not walk in sin anymore. It's empowered you to not let sin reign over you anymore. Grace is empowering And he concludes the chapter by saying, verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift is grace. The gift is Jesus Christ and His blood, but that's God's grace in action. 
God's grace is an incredibly awesome, amazing, overpowering, glorious, undeserved, and unearnable gift. Aren't you glad this morning for grace? And as such, we must recall that it is still a gift. A gift. And as such, this gift is not forced upon anybody. If somebody wants to give you a gift and you don't want it, then you don't get it, right? This is a gift. And God is holding out this gift of grace and redemption and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. He's taken all the action. He wrapped His Son. He wrapped this gift. The Word became flesh. He wrapped the Word in flesh and let Him come here and die for us. And He, and he offers us this gift of His grace. But God ain't going to force it on you. You've got to receive the gift. And in order to receive a gift... You have to receive the gift on the giver's terms. If somebody says to me, hey, you know, so-and-so died and left you, you know, 100 grand. You got to come to, you know, Texas or Kentucky or wherever it is, and you got to sign off on the paperwork. I still got to go sign off on the paperwork. I've got to receive the gift under the terms that the giver is giving it. And God's gift is free. We don't earn His gift by being baptized, by getting in a tank of water. We can't earn it. That's what 1 Peter 3, 18-21 is all about, 22. But God said, this is where I'm putting the gift. If you want your sins forgiven, if you want to access my grace, if you want your sins washed away because of Christ's blood and sacrifice, here's, here's where it's done. Here's where you've got to receive it, right here. Water's a baptism. We see that throughout the New Testament. Most everybody here knows that. But if you have not accepted God's gift in that way, you need to. How can you say no to such a gift? Do you, do you want to go to hell? One sin. God says, don't have to be that way. Here's the gift. If you would accept that gift this morning, or if you've already accepted that gift, but you know, you've kind of, kind of not let it rule your life or you haven't been grateful enough for it to live the way you ought to or any of those things church here will pray with you we'd love to help in any way we can but I guarantee you this if you've been just showing up for church but you've kind of been living a life that's removed from the father wasting and squandering some of his blessings I tell you what just like with the prodigal son he is waiting to love you and hug on you and kiss on you and give you the best of everything if you just come back and say I, I need to do better this morning, if you're doing any of those things, we ask that you make your way to the front because God is full of grace for you this morning as we stand and sing.